Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. Glory, Glory to, to you, Lord, Lord Christ. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. When Jer then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Father, we thank you and praise you for this time of Advent. We thank you for this time where we can learn to wait and we learn to repent. Lord, we ask you please to move in our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning as we hear your word uh, preached, we hear, have heard it read, and as we receive from you uh, the life that we need to follow you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, friends, I don't know about you, but... John the Baptist isn't exactly the neighbor I'd want to invite over to my Christmas party. <laughs> and I wouldn't exactly want to cozy up to his Yule log and fire with a nice cup of cocoa while opening presents. I mean, yikes. This is it's, it's scary stuff. I mean, who wants to hear about repentance and wrath and fire a few weeks before Christmas? No one. No one does. Though I'm sure we all have relatives that we think could use a little of all three. <laughs> Why in the world are we learning about or hearing these, pa these passages of Scripture read during this time of year? It's a fair question. Because unnoticed to the most of the world, this season before Christmas is not primarily about preparing for Christmas, but it is about preparing for the final coming of Jesus Christ. While most of the world frantically prepares for a party and meals, the season of Advent invites us, invites us to prepare our hearts and lives for the true feast, for the real party, when the Son of God returns in his righteousness and faithfulness, bringing the knowledge and peace of God to all the earth. That's, we saw an image of that in our passage from Isaiah. But unlike decorating our houses for Christmas with blow-up toys and lights and greenery, God invites us to a different kind of decoration. He calls us to prepare for the coming of our Lord by adorning our lives with repentance. So this is our theme for the morning. We're going to look at repentance by looking at our three different scripture verses or scripture passages. 
Now, the word repentance might mean a lot of things to a lot of people. So before we dig into our scripture, we, I want to look, I want to clarify two things about repentance. First, Mark Golly in his book, Jesus, Mean and Wild, shows us why repentance is so complex, is what he says. I look at myself some days, and it's hard to imagine that I'm a miserable offender and that there is no health in me, quoting from an old prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. I go to church, I read my Bible, I help at the homeless shelter once a month, at home I do the dishes, take out the trash, and, and I don't beat my children. I don't even ground them, he says. Most nights when I close uh, my day with prayer, see, I have regular prayer. <laughs> I usually have uh, just a few things to confess, a little sloth here, a little impatience there. Does Mark need to repent? It's a good question. For others, he says, the problem with repentance runs a lot deeper. They have been raised in legalistic environments and carry about a guilt-laden backpack that would bend the knees of a Himalayan Sherpa. And most of the guilt, they re realize, is neurotic. Not based on any real transgression, but the product of defective discipleship. Years of Christian nurture has contorted their souls. So often a drinking a glass of wine or failing to say the rosary or breaking one of a thousand other man-made religious taboos, they can shake the pangs of miserable guilt. If this is what repentant conjure, repentance conjures up for you, then we are right to have nothing of it. And to this, add to this the 20th century fascination with self-esteem and a society hooked on affirmation steroids, and it is no wonder that we have created a faith that can hardly pronounce the word repentance. So we bring a lot to this complex thing. So we need to ask first, what is repentance? So the Anglican Church of North America's catechism defines repentance as follows. To repent means that I have a change of heart, turning from sinfully serving myself to serving God as I follow Jesus Christ. I need God's help to make this change. I like this phrase. I like this definition, friends, because of the phrase, a change of heart. Now, remember, in Scripture, heart doesn't just mean your emotions. It's not just a change of feelings. The heart is your thoughts, your will, your desire, and your emotions all bound up together. So a change of heart would actually mean a change of life. Think about your heart like a compass. Normal compasses point just true north. But our hearts point us towards what we think will make us happy or, or fulfilled or whole. And friends, apart from a relationship with Jesus, it's always pointing in the wrong direction. Repentance is getting our needle realigned from ourself to God. It's a change of direction followed by a change of life. And unlike correcting a compass, this change is actually quite painful. That's why John uses images of fire and wrath. It's painful because it's a, it's a change of life. It, 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 it's confront God confronting in our lives things that he stands against in his holy love. Now, if you've been in church any time at all, you've probably heard that repentance is a change of mind. Literally, the word metanoia uses this sort of metaphor. Now, repentance is a change of mind. But I don't know about you guys, but I can 
change my mind without leading, without necessarily changing my life. Example, I can think I'm going to eat less sweets. Boom, my mind is changed. And maybe I'll pray, oh God, help me to eat less candy. And then I, but I don't actually do anything about it. My changed mind hasn't done me, has done me no good. I'm going to grab a Snickers real quick, excuse me. Um, <laughs> repentance is a total change of orientation from self to God, which necessarily leads to a changed life. And that takes time and effort. It's an ongoing practice. Now this brings up a second issue when it comes to the word repentance. What, when does repentance happen? Now growing up in the church like I did, I heard a lot about repentance. But I always associated it with becoming a Christian. Repent and believe the gospel. I was like, okay, I did that, now what? Well, I kept sinning, and I kept hearing repent and believe, so I kept giving my life to Jesus. Never really sure if I was, I was really in. Sadly, my confusion was unnecessary. And I just want to spare you all of the same confusion. Martin Luther said that the whole of the Christian life is repentance. But we should distinguish between the repentance that begins the Christian life and the one that continues throughout the Christian life. Simply put, the Christian life starts with the change of direction, starts from going from self to God, and is a continual course correction throughout, to use a slightly different metaphor. Our compass is turned towards God, but because we still sin, we are constantly in, in need of being realigned to God. And that is the practice of repentance. So Advent, to come back to our theme this morning, is a season of the Christian year where we take time to see where is the orientation of our hearts. Where in my life are my desires oriented towards myself and not towards God? More to John the Baptist's point and to our scripture, our gospel reading this morning, where have I given lip service to repentance and avoided the change of life that should follow. Ah yes, I was hoping my digression has lulled you into thinking, into a false sense of security that I maybe forgotten our loud, annoying party guest who's telling everyone to repent. Friends, like a whirlwind, John's words break upon us and frankly, it's alarming. The ax is laid, the fire is coming, you brood of vipers. Oh man. He doesn't mince words, friends. But why would he, honestly? This is life and death stuff we're talking about. This is the difference between walking off of a cliff and walking to safety. As I was preparing, this has reminded me of a story from, feels like ancient history now, but it was about 10 years ago when Lindsay and I were dating. We were visiting Marin's future godparents, good friends from college, and we were down in the Red River Gorge in Kentucky. Now, if you guys, well, down, I was in Indianapolis. It's up from here, excuse me. Up in the Red River Gorge from Kentucky. Now, if you guys have ever been there, it's a beautiful part of, of uh, the American landscape. And there are these huge arches all over. I looked it up. There's got to be at least 50 of these arches throughout this, this area. And there's one called the Natural Bridge. And this one is so big, you can actually go and walk out on it. So that's what we did. M my, Lindsay, myself, my friends Ben and Hannah, we went out for a hike, and we whacked out on Natural Bridge. And as we were walking, you know, it's not just a cliff. You know, you got a cliff here, safety here. It's fall here, fall here. So 
as we're walking, we see this cute little family running along, and then I hear this dad yelling, if you go there, you will die. He's talking to his son <laughs> as he's running closer to the cliff. Now, when I was, I was like 22, 23, I was like, man, that's a little extreme. And now with my, my little daughter running around, I'm like, yeah, I get that. <laughs> if you go there, you will die. That's what John the Baptist is saying. If you go there, you will die. So where are we walking? What do we have to repent of? Well, I can't read your hearts. That is God's purview. But let's take our cue from Scripture this morning. John's harshest words are for the most religious people in Israel, the Pharisees and Sadducees. Why? Why is he being so, so hard on them? Because they didn't walk in repentance. It's right there in verse 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And friends, as we know from other stories, the Pharisees put on a good act of repentance. They said the right words, prayed the right prayers. They looked like the holiest people in the land, but they didn't love their neighbor. They didn't act justly. They didn't show mercy. They didn't walk humbly with their God. They didn't live out their repentance. It's kind of like thinking if we believe the right things and say the right things, we'll be good. While ignoring God's call to love and serve others as he did. It's also kind of like thinking that just going to church or being a good person or even being a part of a Christian nation makes you good with God. You're good. Both of these attitudes avoid the real work of repentance. Because deep down, what the Pharisees reveals to us about ourselves is that we are prideful and we don't want to change our lives. We don't want Jesus to change our lives, if we're honest. But if repentance mean, is turning our hearts towards God, away from self, towards God daily, it means that we must move beyond merely changing how we think to changing how we live. It means that we cannot passively rely on being good people and going to church. We actually need a deep renovation and reorientation of our hearts. But hopefully you've noticed the conundrum at this point. If repentance is a change of heart, and our hearts are, as Augustine says, curved in on ourselves, how are we going to get uncurved? How is that needle going to stop pointing towards us and start pointing towards God? Friends, we cannot repent apart from trusting in Jesus. The only way we can turn our hearts towards God is through Jesus Christ. And this is the coming one as John calls him. He is the one who is the engine and end goal of our repentance. If we are to live into the habit of repentance, we need to keep our eyes on the one who empowers us through his Holy Spirit to repent. As he cuts at the root of sin in our lives with his life, death, and resurrection. To really repent, we need Jesus. So let's turn to our passage from Isaiah and see a, a picture of Jesus. So a little context to Isaiah 11. In chapters 9 and 10, there's some pretty brutal judgments on Israel's pride and arrogance and their oppression and injustice. And actually also the impression and injustice of the Assyrians, this nation that was invading Israel. Read here that no one is good with God. Everyone is unrighteous. Everyone is a sinner. Friends, 
you thought John the Baptist was rough? These pa passages make John the Baptist sound nice. And an image woven, that is woven throughout these, ju the, the, these judgments against sin is this image of trees getting cut down. And it should remind us of John, this warning he says, this axe is laid at the root. And in Israel's history, this judgment, this cutting down was the exile. And interestingly, Israel, in Jesus' time, still saw itself as a, in a kind of exile, awaiting the Messiah. So out of this exile, out of their exile, God brings redemption. This, this shoot from this stump that's been cut down, this shoot from the tree of Jesse, the Messiah, the coming one. And he's finally come in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. According to Isaiah, the, Isaiah the, the Messiah will be filled with the Spirit of God. He will delight in the fear of the Lord, bring true justice to the oppressed, destroy the wicked. He will be the embodiment of God's righteousness and faithfulness. When he comes in, God, in all his glory, God's reign will be complete. And this is what we see in verses 6 through 10. It reveals that in an Eden-like garden where God and humanity and creation are in harmony again because the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. Friends, this is, if we're honest, the world we all want. We all want to be at peace and harmony with one another. We all think about it. I, I mean, I was listening to the radio a couple days ago, and I was like, this is the time of year where you're supposed to be just really nice to people. This is what we're all wanting during Christmas. So you get to Christmas Day, and you're hanging out with your family, and you're like, dang it, I'm not that nice. <laughs> it's the world we all want. But it is not how our world is. It's not how we are. And Jesus, through his life and death and resurrection, brings this world to us. He brings us out of exile into the kingdom of God. But friends, I, I want to clear a little brush away here. I want to make sure we're talking about the real Jesus. Author Kevin DeYoung notes there are a lot of counterfeit Jesuses out there. Really, pictures that we, of Jesus that we make in our own image... So here's a few examples. I, I found these pretty uh, convicting and uh, maybe a little funny. There's the Republican Jesus. He's against tax increases and activist judges for family values and owning firearms. A little too close to home? Oh, then there's the Democratic Jesus, who is against Wall Street and Walmart for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money. There's Therapist Jesus who helps us cope with life problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are and not to be so hard on ourselves. There's Starbucks Jesus, who drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversations, drives a hybrid, and goes to film festivals. I kind of identify with that one. There's open-minded Jesus, who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except for people who are not as open-minded as you. There's spirituality Jesus, who hates religions, churches, pastors, priests, and doctrine, and would rather have people out in nature finding the God within while listening to, un to ambiguous spiritual music. Probably enough. You get my point. These are all counterfeit Jesuses. These are all Jesuses that we create in our own image. Then there's the real Jesus. The Jesus that we see here in Isaiah 11. Jesus, the only Son of God, the incarnate Lord, the Savior of the universe. He is the one who the Spirit of the Lord rested upon, who brings true justice and mercy. He is the one through his death and resurrection put sin to death and judged our evil so that we could repent and live. He made it possible for us to repent and change.
Friends, without Jesus' death, without the real Jesus, all our attempts at repentance would be failed self-help. When we practice repentance, the orientation of our hearts goes from self to God, from self-righteousness to the righteous one, from faithlessness to the faithful one. We begin to live as we were created to, for communion with God. Finally, we return or uh, turn to Romans chapter 15. So to prepare for Christ's return, we repent by allowing Christ to turn our hearts from ourselves, from our inner Pharisee of pride towards the living God who daily cuts sin out of our hearts and infuses life, his life into us. And as we work, as he works in us, we bear fruit in keeping with repentance. But what does that look like practically? And we see an example of this in our passage from Romans. Now, in this church, there was a conflict about certain cultural practices. I'm not going to be able to go into the details. It's really interesting, but suffice to say, some people thought that they didn't need to follow certain rules, while others felt like they did. Now, Paul argues that both sides, but especially the stronger brothers, need to mutually love and serve one another. Why? Because this is what Jesus did. In short, if our orientation in life is not ourselves but God and his kingdom, then we will live as Jesus lived. We will give ourselves up for our neighbors, for our friends, even for our enemies. Following Jesus means putting others first, welcoming the stranger, living in reconciled harmony with one another. It means pursuing real unity and welcome. Oh, don't get lost in these nice ideas, friends. This is all the time where we're supposed to be unified and, and welcome during Christmas. This is something we must actually do. We must, as Paul says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Think about what that means. Christ doesn't welcome us because we're cool or good or in. He welcomes us because we're dirty, rotten sinners. Because we're ungodly. Because he loves us. And so if he welcomes us like that, how much more so should we welcome others? Behind these, this call, this practical call that Paul gives to his church is Jesus' own death and resurrection. Our loving service, our repentance, and changed life is shaped by and empowered by Jesus' cross. It is, as one theologian put it, cruciform in the form of a cross. To repent is to live our lives in the shape of the cross. To put to death our pride and walk in the love and humility of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's turning our eyes from ourselves and turning them towards God and our neighbor in practical love and service. So friends, let us repent. Don't just mouth the words and put on a good act, but bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And know, my friends, my beloved brothers and sisters, that the one who has come and is coming, the one who took your sins and put them to death in his death is with you. He is beside you. He is in you. As you walk the way of repentance, the joyful path of the cross of Christ. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you.
thank you for calling us to repentance and thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit to grow in us this life of repentance. We ask you to fill us with your spirit more and more. Help us to walk in repentance. Help us to live, live in this changed way of life. All to your glory. I pray this all in the name of Jesus.